Here at the beginning of the chapter, we find this. When the usual time for closing the meeting came, some of us wanted to continue to wait upon the Lord. I suggested that those who had bodily strength, time, and a desire to wait longer upon the Lord do so. At least 30 remained, and we continued in prayer until after 10. I never knew deeper prayer in the Spirit. I experienced an unusual nearness to the Lord and was able to pray in faith without doubting. So what value is there in extended prayer regardless of schedule? that we're praying a lot, we are close to the Lord. Okay, what else? Does every problem get wrapped up neatly in 10 minutes or 45? You know, sometimes I think we approach life like a TV episode. Here's the problem, here's the solution, it's all neatly tied up after a half hour, right? The reality is there's very few things in life that are like that. And so to the extent that we're spending more time in prayer, um, we recognize the fact that many problems last. The, the working through them takes quite a, quite a length of time. Okay. A little bit later, he says, a brother was on his way to work this morning when the Lord put the orphans on his heart. The brother said to himself, I cannot go there now. I will take something to them this evening. Nevertheless, he could not go on any further, but felt constrained to return and bring three sovereigns to the orphan house. So here's the question. Should we listen when we sense God directing us, and does the timing matter? And what does this look like? Should we expect there to suddenly appear like an airplane with a message trailing behind it, you should go do such and such? I think we would tend to say no, right? Um, but I think that there is a real sense in which if we are seeking after what God wants, regularly praying, regularly meditating on God's Word, God is going to direct us toward things that He wants us to do. And I think it's not always easy to unravel. Is this just a thought that I have in my head? Or is this something that the Holy Spirit is encouraging me to do? or just all of those sorts of things. But I don't think that we should be surprised that if we're walking closely with God, that God directs our steps, because there's a lot of passages in the Bible that talk about that, right? And I think that sometimes... Um, because people have taken this to excess and used it to justify things like well, clearly God wants you to give me a million dollars so I can build this bigger, you know, religious complex, right? Then we say, well, then God doesn't direct anybody because that's clearly not the case. Um, but I think we swing too far if we go that direction. Any, any more thoughts on this? Jonathan? Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, and that's another good point, because sometimes I think we feel like, well, this is dangerous because I'm trying to tell someone else what God wants them to do. And that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about you have a sense of here's something that God wants you to do. And we need to be honest about what's going on with that, right? Um, if you say, I want to, I don't know, go to this school versus that school because I think it will give me better opportunities, there's nothing sinful with that. But we don't need to always act as though it's specifically, well, God told me to go to this school, right? There may be an element of that, but there's nothing wrong with, to the extent that we are following closely after God, saying, I think this is what God wants, and this is also what I want, and all those sorts of things, and here's what I'm trying to, the steps I'm trying to take to pursue. Um, I think sometimes we talk that way because we want to have an out. Well, God told me it didn't work out, but so it couldn't have been bad judgment on my part, right? Um, I think, too, the more that we practice following God consistently, the less of a um, we're able to make some of these decisions more in the moment instead of having to be this long, drawn-out process. So if you're learning how to brush your teeth for the first time, you have to figure out all the steps, right? Somebody's got to show you. But I think, you know, by this point in our lives, it's just sort of a habit. It's just something that happens, right? You don't, need, you don't have to think, I have to get the toothpaste tube out, and I have to put toothpaste on the toothbrush, and I have to put it in my mouth, and I have to move it around, and I have to count to however long, or all those. You don't think all those things. To the same extent, if we are consistently following after God, we don't have to, every time we feel like, I think God wants me to do such and such. Okay, let me go look up 20 passages on it. Let me pray about it for a week particularly if it's something just really straightforward and, and simple like this, right? Now, to the extent that it's a more significant decision, I think more prayer and more thinking about it is wise. I mean, it's one thing to say I'm going to give somebody five bucks. It's another to say I'm going to give somebody 5000 right? It's one thing to say I am going to wear this color shirt this morning. It's another to say uh, I'm going to move to a completely different state. Like the, the gravity of the decision affects the degree to which we go into these things, but sometimes we just, I don't know, get hung up on, on the details of things like this and we come up with all these reasons like, well, if I give this person this thing, then here's what they might do with it. And then this, and, and we don't just say, you know what, God can work all that part of it out, right? Jim? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. We may not like how it feels, but it can be good for us, you're saying. Yeah. Okay. The timing clearly mattered to Mueller and the orphans, right? They needed the money right then. For this guy, theoretically, he could have brought it in the evening, and he would have still been doing this thing that he felt like God wanted him to do. But I think the more that we consider it, the more we may realize that there is a specific window in which we can have the most effectiveness or be the most blessing to someone. Not that you can't take a future opportunity, but sometimes moments pass us by because we get stuck in this, should I do this, should I say this, I don't think it's going to come out exactly the right way, I wonder how it's taken, you know, all those sorts of things, and sometimes we just need to do it and let God sort out the details. Bob? A little bit later, he says this with regard to his poverty. If the hearts of the children of God are comforted and their faith strengthened, it is worth being poor and greatly tried in faith. Those who do not know God may read or hear of his dealings with us and see that faith in God is more than a mere notion. There is indeed reality in Christianity. So how might your sufferings and difficulties advance God's kingdom? Mary? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Other thoughts on this? Does that question, is it worth it, cross your mind about different situations? I think if we're honest, it does. Is it worth it to follow God? Is it worth it to give up this thing to follow God? Is it worth it to... And here's where it gets tricky. We would tend to say, oh yeah, this is worth it if 100 people trust Jesus. Right? But what if no one trusts Jesus or no one that you ever hear about trusts Jesus? Are you still okay with having gone through whatever the hard thing is? That's where it gets... You know, if we can see results, we say, I don't really get the whole thing, but I can see a little bit of it, right? But if we don't see immediate results, that's much harder to say, yes, it's still worth it, right? And I think about that passage in Hebrews where it says, these all, um, the end of Hebrews 11. If I can find it here. These, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Are you okay with being one of the prophets in the Old Testament who saw that Jesus would come, but didn't get to see? Or, for that matter, not even one of the prophets, just one of the Israelites in the Old Testament. They heard all these things about what was to come. They didn't necessarily know all the details of it. They never got to see it in their lifetime, and they still were supposed to follow after God anyway. You said, what draws that faith? What do you think? 
I think we would say it's the work of God's Spirit that enables us to believe in situations that don't make sense to an outside observer, right? Bob? As opposed to the big push in a lot of uh, situations for people to say, well, if you really follow God, you'll be rich and have everything you ever wanted. Yeah, Jesus is going to make your life better. Jesus is going to help you all through your lives. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and there's a degree to which... Go ahead, I'm sorry, Bruce. Sorry. Yeah, and, you know, if Jesus said that those who follow me will face persecution, and if we look at the example of Paul's life and Peter's life and all these other people in the New Testament, it seems strange that our conclusion is life will be really great if I follow God faithfully. Now, does God bring blessings? Absolutely. And we should never minimize those. I mean... It talks in Ecclesiastes about the blessings of family and hard work and all those sorts of things. We shouldn't minimize those. Those are good gifts of God. But we always have to enjoy them in the context of that they are for a little while and that even if they are taken away, we still have our relationship with God. Right? And we kind of want to follow God and have everything that the world has to offer. Right? And the Bible doesn't lay things out that way. Now, is there a sense in which life will be easier or better if we follow God because we avoid some of the natural consequences of sin? Sure. That's not the why we follow God, right? That's just a side benefit, right? Norma? Mm -hmm. Yeah does expand God's kingdom, yeah, when we follow them that way. Good. It says a little bit later, by prayer and faith we may obtain all necessary temporal and spiritual help and blessings. In all simplicity we can pour out our heart before God and we have to believe that he will give to us according to our need. Do not let the consciousness of your unworthiness keep you from believing what God has said concerning you. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus, this precious privilege of being in partnership with the Father and the Son is yours. So what does it mean to be in daily partnership with God in your life? Or if we want to substitute the word fellowship, that one would fit here as well. What does that look like? Daily fellowship with God in your Christian walk. 
Yeah. definitely a sense of peace that comes when you have something come up and you take it to God, right? Um, in along those lines, um, so one aspect of fellowship with God, of partnership with God, is this ability to be constantly interacting with Him during the day. Okay, what other things do we see that are part of this partnership or fellowship with God in our Christian life? Ben, do you have a thought? Okay. Louise? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so if I say to Jonathan, hey, let's partner up with this business thing, and then I don't talk to him for three months, there's not much of a partnership, right? He's going to say, what's going on here, right? So there has to be that regular interaction for it to be real and meaningful, okay? What else? What other aspects of partnership or fellowship are there? Kevin? Yeah. Does this please God? What do we tend to ask instead or just not even ask? <laughs> Sometimes we don't ask, but if we ask, what's a more common thing we might ask? Right. Okay, so if you have a, if you are walking in partnership with someone else, like in a business context, uh, let's say between the two of you, you have $10,000 to accomplish the task that you're trying to do in your business. If one person says, hey, I'm going to take that $10,000 and go buy a motorcycle, that's not going to help your business to thrive, right? So you can't just make random decisions without consideration for the others who are involved in it. And, you know, God is the one with all the resources in this situation, but still, he has shared some of them with us. And so, uh, whether it be time, whether it be money, whether it just be the sum total of our lives, if we stop and ask what would be pleasing to God, as opposed to just saying, what do I feel like doing today? Right? Okay, Bob? Yeah, so Paul talks in Philippians about the partnership or the fellowship of his sufferings, right? So that's an aspect of it. He talks about your partnership or fellowship in the gospel until now. And a lot of that had to do with the Macedonian believer saying, we have almost nothing, but we're still going to give generously and sacrificially to help these other people who are poor in Jerusalem. And Paul talks about their fellowship in the gospel in that respect and also in sharing the gospel with people around them. And so... Um, 
yeah, there's a lot of different ways that this concept of sharing or partnership or fellowship comes up in the New Testament that we'd be well to, to look at a little more closely. Any other thoughts on this point? Mary. Okay. Yeah. God's promises enable us to walk with Him in this way. Okay. Good. A little bit later, he says, All believers are called upon in the simple confidence of faith to cast all their burdens on God and to trust Him for everything. Do we agree with that statement? Yeah. I mean, 1 Peter 5, 7, we tend to pull a little bit out of context, but where it says, cast your cares on Him because He cares for you. I mean, that sense is true, right? Um... They should not only make everything a subject of prayer, but expect answers to their petitions, which they have asked according to His will and in the name of the Lord Jesus. So, how many things should we pray about in the course of the day? Pretty much everything, right? There's a degree to which we might feel silly to pray to God and say something along the lines of, hmm... Thank you for these socks. Which pair should I wear today? Right? But would there be anything bad about thanking God for our clothes as we put them on in the morning? No. I mean, there's opportunities for Thanksgiving that we tend to overlook because we just say, I have this, and of course I would have it, and all that sort of thing. Um, what about praying for the food that he's provided for us? It's easy for us not to thank him for things like that. What about... Uh, what about praying if you get stuck in traffic and you are stressed out about it or all those sorts of things? Is that an opportunity for prayer? Yeah. 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 And, and part of the calming down or the refocusing is realizing that God knew what time you were going to get up that morning, what was going to be happening construction-wise on the road and all that sort of thing. And should we plan ahead? Yes. But sometimes things just pop up unexpectedly. And those are opportunities to talk to God in prayer. Uh, sometimes we feel like there are opportunities to vent and rage against the situation. And that, at some level, is a lack of faith and a, a doubt in God's goodness in the situation. To admit that, because we want to feel like we're justified. We're not. Um, what about this part where he says, expecting answers uh, to what they've asked according to his will in the name of the Lord Jesus? Is there any biblical support for that? Any verse that says, if we ask things according to his will, he hears us. Yes. I can't remember the reference, but... Yeah. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So then, figuring out what asking according to his will is, does involve some work. There's very clear statements. This is the will of God concerning you, that you abstain from immorality, 1 Thessalonians 4. Uh, some things are not direct statements like that, but it is clear from other passages that it's God's will that we are transformed from uh, sinful habits to following after Him, even though it doesn't say this is God's will. It's clearly that that's God's will, what He's accomplishing in us. So if we were to pray then, according to God's will, if God says, I want you to abstain from immorality, then what would be according to God's will? Pray for help not to do that. Not to think that way, not to live that way in a sort of greedy, grasping kind of mindset. 
What does it look like then for us to pray in terms of Christian growth? Uh, we should pray that God would help us to notice things in His Word that we need to hear, areas in which we need to draw closer to Him, uh, ways in which we are already doing the things that are pleasing to Him, that we would persist in all of that. Um, if you look at the prayers in the New Testament, I'm not saying it's wrong to pray if you lose your keys or something like that, or wrong to pray about financial things, because clearly Mueller did that a ton, but um, a lot of the prayers in the New Testament are geared toward this person needs to grow closer to God, or this person needs to begin trusting in God, or God, accomplish your work in the midst of these difficulties so that your name would be great in the world. Think about Acts 4. They pray together and they say, God, you made heaven and earth, and you see the threatenings of the people who are telling us not to preach your name anymore, so help us to have an easy life and for them to leave us alone. No, they said, pay attention to their threatenings, help us to speak boldly despite all of that. And then God sends the kind of a localized earthquake and all these other things, and they have this sense of God's presence and then they go out from there, and shortly after that, the persecution springs up, and they still keep faithfully proclaiming the gospel. So, praying according to God's will means we have to see what sort of things are we supposed to be praying about. Now, we can pray for help, we can pray for financial needs, we can pray for just the day-to-day -day stuff of life, but there ought to be at least as much, if not more, emphasis on praying for things that are really important spiritually and for God's kingdom to go forward. And we tend to be lacking in that area because it's not a high priority for us like it is for God. Bob? The gospel writer says that we were saved to pray. If we think about all the Christian life, what each thing we every single thing should be through a raising God mm -hmm. or Yeah. So every act of service should lead to one of those things. Every time we read the Bible should lead to one of those things. And the building of the kingdom, the end result is so that more people are doing those things. Right. So that is the primary purpose of God's kingdom. Is to pray to show the money that goes in. And I think we minimize that and think, oh, I'll get around to praying later. You're not getting the point. Right. Along those lines, I think it's easy to say, if I can have, and this is somewhat a guy thing, but it's also a thing. If I have a list of tasks that I can get done, then if I get that list of tasks done, then I will have accomplished all these things for God. And while God does expect certain tasks to be accomplished in the course of falling off after him, the tasks aren't the point, right? It's not read your Bible so you can say, I read my Bible. Because you could read your Bible every single day, but if it never sinks in and changes your life, what good is that, right? And you can pray and people can think, oh, wow, look at how all the words that that person can string together and how close they appear to be to God. But if it's not geared toward a relationship with God in which you actually expect Him to answer, you're just doing it to show off like the Pharisees did. Jesus said... I don't want that. And even the passage we're going to look at this morning, God says, 
you can spend all day doing all these activities, but I want your heart. I want you to get at what really matters. A little bit later, he says, I do not have the gift of faith mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12, 9. It is true that the faith which I am able to exercise is God's own gift. He alone supports it, and he alone can increase it. Moment by moment, I depend on him. If I were left to myself, my faith would utterly fail. We've talked about this point before. He's saying, I don't have a spiritual gift of faith. At least he didn't have a clear sense of that in the way that 1 Corinthians 12 talks about the gift of faith or of knowledge or of prophecy or speaking in tongues. And yet, he had faith that was a gift from God that enabled him to pray confidently that God would hear and help him. And so that distinction may not sound like a big deal, but it is a big deal, right? Which is to say, you don't have to be spiritually gifted with faith in order for God to give you faith and increase that faith. That applies to all believers. You know the thoughts on that part of it? It says a little bit later, trusting in God means more than obtaining money by prayer and faith. Which is good to remember since a lot of the book is, is geared toward those things. By the grace of God, I desire that my faith extend toward everything. The smallest of my own temporal and spiritual concerns, my family, the saints among whom I labor, the church at large, and everything that has to do with the temporal and spiritual prosperity of the scriptural knowledge institution. So, can all believers experience the sort of prayer and results that Mueller saw? Yes, to the extent that we recognize that this is not something that's limited to a handful of people, that's his point over and over again. You don't have to have the gift of faith to have faith as a gift from God and to grow in that faith and to see God answer as that faith grows. And that's really important because we tend to think, well, if I'm not... Um, if I'm not spiritually gifted in this way. Like, this was the, one of the big arguments in the Corinthian church. If you don't have the gift of tongues, you're not important and you should go sit in the corner, right? And that's his point. You don't have to have that spiritual gift. God can grow your faith as long as you are someone who knows and is following after him. So this is not some high, inaccessible thing. Now, does it take some time and some measure of dependence on God to get from... I've just trusted Jesus to I see God work in unexpected, even seemingly miraculous ways. Yeah, I think there's a bit of a learning curve right there. But that doesn't mean that it's not, we can't reach to it, right? Any thoughts on that? If we look at that last little paragraph there, he makes four points about this sort of faith. 
And so the question I ask is, which is most applicable to you and why? So if you're willing to share that, that would be great, but at the very least to think about it. The first one he says is that you need to read and meditate on Scripture. Why is it important to read and meditate on Scripture if we're going to grow in faith? Jonathan? Okay. Yeah. What do we learn about God from the Bible that is important when it comes to the subject of faith? What do we see about God from the Bible? Okay. God's character. Okay. Yeah, his patience, his trustworthiness. Do we see God doing anything in the course of the history of the Bible? Yeah, so if God can give victory to his people against overwhelming odds, and if God can speak the world into existence, that should increase confidence in our faith that God can help me with this thing, right? So if I never read the Bible, if I never think about the Bible, I'm going to be lacking in my confidence in God's ability to do things because I don't have any, any precedent or any, uh, any basis on which to believe strongly that, that he can work. Okay? What about, um, yeah, he says in that paragraph, he's learned from the word that God is almighty in power, infinite in wisdom, and ready to help and deliver his people. We're really convinced of those things then we can come before God in faith. God, you said you will help. Help. God, you said you know all things. I need wisdom. God, you said that you can um, do whatever pleases you. So please intervene in this situation. The next thing he says is to reject sin. He says it this way. We must maintain an upright heart and a good conscience and not knowingly and habitually indulge in things that are contrary to mind of God. So, I put reject sin, but that's the same basic idea. Why does that matter when it comes to faith? Grace, why do we have to reject sin if we're going to trust God the way we're supposed to? Okay, sin keeps us from God, makes us focus on ourselves. Yeah. I'm not going to be comfortable coming to God and saying, here, will you work in this way when I'm doing things that I know he's not pleased with me about, right? Now, sometimes we can blindly do that anyway. I mean, the people of Israel do that repeatedly in the book of Isaiah. God, you're so happy with us because we're doing all these things we're supposed to. And God says, what about your idolatry? But... So it's possible to be blind to that, but if we're honest and we say, I'm, I've sinned, and I need to deal with that with God, that has to get out of the way first before we can have a right approach to faith. Which ties into all these things about worshiping God as well, right? If there's things between us and someone else or between us and God, we can't come in a right frame of mind to worship God because there's this obstacle in the way. Okay. Why else is rejecting sin important when it comes to faith? 
Yes, go ahead. Mm. Takes faith to have God's help in rejecting sin. Okay, good. What about, think about what, uh, I, I forget if it was Nathan the prophet or, or who it was, maybe something that David said in Psalm 51. What was the, what was one of the big problems with David's sin with Bathsheba? Other than the fact that obviously it was sin, but what was one of the big concerns flowing out of that? Everyone knew, which meant what about God? And his... Yeah, God's reputation among all the surrounding nations. Here's this king of Israel that God had promised to help and all these sorts of things, and he's doing things that God hates, and, and he sort of drags God's name through the mud in the sight of the nations, right? So if I am sinning, and then I come before God and I say, bless me so that people can look at my life, God doesn't want more attention brought to your life if you're doing the things that he hates and you're... you're making a bad name for him among the people around you. And then this idea of a guilty conscience, my faith is weakened. He says, with every fresh trial, faith either increases by trusting God and getting help, or it decreases by not trusting Him. A habit of self-dependence is either defeated or encouraged. If we trust in God, we do not trust in ourselves, our fellow men, circumstances, or anything else. If we do trust in one or more of these, we do not trust in God. Third thing that he says, if we desire faith to be strengthened, we should not shrink from opportunities where our faith could be tried. How many of you get up in the morning and say, God, I want you to have opportunities where things are not going to go the way that I want them to go so that I have a chance to trust you more today? We say, God, give me a good day. By good day, we mean that life goes according to my plan. Right? I'm not, I mean, I don't think God expects us to pray, make my life miserable today, just so I could trust you. Right? Because that can easily become sort of this, I don't know, I'm a victim, life is terrible, you know, all that sort of just a discouraged outlook on life. Bob? Sometimes people say, well, don't pray for patience because then your kids are going to throw up or go to bed or, you know, some major, you know, have a pipe burst or whatever else. But if we look at those things as opportunities to depend on God, it's not the end of the world if those things happen. Now, we don't necessarily want them to happen every day, but we should be okay with them happening, like Bob was saying, to the extent that they draw us closer to God. Um... He says he should cheerfully embrace them, positions, situations, or circumstances in which faith should be tried. 
as opportunities to see the hand of God stretched out in help and deliverance, thus his faith will be strengthened. Then the last one he says is, uh, we let God work for us and do not work a deliverance of our own. So, what does this one look like? This one I think maybe is a little bit harder to think about. Does that mean don't, don't work and God will just have to miraculously provide everything for you? I don't think it means that necessarily. Um, what could it mean? Let God deliver you, don't try to deliver yourself. Yeah, that one. Okay. Yeah. Yep. yep. Okay. So if we are thinking that we're supposed to accomplish things for ourselves when it comes to the salvation of people we've been praying for, what is that going to look like if I think I have to accomplish this? Yeah, so beating them overhead with something, maybe just saying over and over and over again, here's this verse, here's this verse, here's this verse, Jonathan. Okay. Glorifying ourselves instead of God, okay. Yeah, if I can figure it out on my own, who gets the credit for it? I do, right? And to the extent that I have done everything I reasonably can to see someone saved or to see some situation worked out in a way that I think would be the right way for it to work out, if I can make it work, it's really easy to be proud and say, look at what I've done. If I can't make it work, I have to acknowledge that God is God and I'm not. We don't like to be in that position because we want to think that intelligence or skill or money or connections or whatever else is going to be the path to success in any given situation. Jonathan? Sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. What do you have that you haven't received from God? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Huh? Let's close in prayer. Dear God, we thank you for the opportunity to consider these things this morning. Pray that you would help us during the week to continue to reflect on them. Help us to depend on you in a right way to see you grow our faith. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.